Hi, this is Pastor Mike Gordon, and welcome to Bethel Brandon's Sunday Message. For more information about this podcast and more resources, visit us at BethelBrandon.ca. Well, good morning, everyone. The 23rd Psalm. Now, before I go on uh, any further, uh, know that was not a child that it was uh, someone who was from this church. A lot of times you think, whose daughter was that? I don't, didn't even know who she was. Well, uh, I just found it on Right Now Media, and I thought it was so cute that I, would, uh, that I wanted to kind of uh, present that. So, uh, no, you're not going crazy. There aren't, uh, there aren't people that you don't know about in the church or anything like that. But, hey, you can have Right Now Media. It is uh, available to anyone who is, uh, who is watching. So, anyways. Um, hey, there is something about... The 23rd Psalm. It is probably the most uh, popular passage in all of the Bible. There are a lot of popular passages. There's a lot of things, uh, scriptures that people know off by heart. But if, uh, if you don't go to church, uh, that is one many times that you don't do know. People who are in church, we have a whole bunch of scriptures that we realize. But for a person who doesn't normally go to church, this, if there is a, a passage of scripture that they know, it is that one. Because not everyone has been to church, but Pretty well everyone has been to a funeral, and that has been a a popular passage of Scripture that we have at funerals because it is a consoling passage of Scripture. And and you think, well, when when my uh, dad died, that that was the one Scripture that I remember from the funeral. And and it's something that many times we go to when we're we're going through um, difficult times. And and it is one of those uh, Scriptures which we will call like a balancing uh, Scripture uh, for our lives. Uh, uh, last week, uh, we talked about uh, the attributes of God and how important it is to know the attributes of God because what they do is they balance us out when we go through um, difficult times. And if you didn't get a chance to watch last week's message, I encourage that you do. I tried to uh, mention a whole bunch of things about God and I kind of fell short because nobody can really ever express and explain who God um, really is. But there's method to my madness. Because I think what happens is um, the way we think of God and uh, the way we try and recover and encourage people sometimes is, is really not seen in a, in a biblical way. Um, let's just put it like sometimes we kind of see uh, encouraging people or, or uh, you know, trying to, trying to um, levelize our faith by thinking, okay, like this, this heart, my heart is a cup, and, and so my, my, the cup is kind of full of all the fear and the anxiety and the sorrow and everything that I'm going, and, and the thought is, well, uh, what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to somehow empty those thoughts and empty those emotions and uh, kind of ask God to put the newer, better emotions in. And, and, and so I have fear, and I, I want to dump the fear out, and I want to kind of put, I want to put something else in. But really, when you think about it, some of the emotions and things that we go through, particularly during this time, are not necessarily bad things. Fear is an emotion uh, that God created, and, and sorrow is something that we have to go through. And frustrating times are, are things that God uses uh, to minister to us. And so the idea is not so much to see things as a cup. Perhaps the better way to see things is like a scale, not like your bathroom scale, but like a balancing scale, you know, like the justice scale where they kind of have something tipping up and, and down. Because the idea many times is not so much 
to take away the emotions that God perhaps is using, but to somehow put on a counterbalance that will cause things to be realized in a better manner. That sometimes, sometimes there's those things that we need to understand about God in the bigger picture that we place on that to cause us to realize that what is happening right now is something that God has planned and is doing. And in the greater scheme of things, God has something special. Yeah, this is what's going on. These are the terrible things is, but you know what? You can't empty this because God's using that. What we do is we counterbalance it with the goodness and the grace and the sovereignty of God. And as a result, we're able to cope. We're able to, to minister. And, and I believe that this is an important message for today. I believe that this is a time where God is seeking to minister and move by causing us to see who he is again. So if there was a message for today, I believe it is this. That God is wanting to minister. God is wanting um, uh, to move. And, and be aware of something. This is not the first time in history that we have gone through extended times of frustration. Uh, far from it. Uh, but the question is, how do you cope? How do you minister uh, during those times? And, and this time seems to be a little bit different in that there is a huge paradigm shift which is going on in our society and how we minister and how we talk and how we communicate. And, and uh, so, so we kind of go forward and we go backward at the same time. We go forward in the fact that there is a new way that we need to repackage and minister the, the love of God. Yet at the same time, those things that we have always done in the past are the things which cause us to, to get closer to God. The fact that I want to live a pure life, the fact that I want to cast off the sin and the weights that so easily besets me, the fact that I want to serve him with all of my heart and spend time with him, to come to the realization that there's this great, awesome God who loves me, and in the midst of that, I want to give him my trust. I want to I allow him to have his way in, in my life. He's a huge, unfathomable God that I can personally know. So what I want to do, if I could, is to use this popular passage of Scripture to go back to some simple truths. And as I look at this passage of Scripture, there's a, a few ways that you can go through it. So over the next couple of weeks, I, what I want to do is I want to I explain this passage of Scripture as it relates to the nature of God, the goodness of God, actually. Also, next week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to view this passage. And, and, and David doesn't just pick, pick, um, put together one picture. It's not just one story in this passage of Scripture, but it's actually three. And, and how that applies to our life. And the last one is the fact that, hey, the Bible talks in the New Testament, New Testament about a good shepherd. And so if you could give me a little bit of time, I want to talk about the importance uh, of this. And so if you have your Bibles with you or if you have your Bible app with you, uh, I do have it on PowerPoint if you don't have either of them. Uh, let me read to you one of the most popular, most memorized, most loved passages in all of Scripture. It goes like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What an incredible passage of scripture. But I have come to find that this is one of those passages which is kind of like trying to see um, the forest for the sake of the trees. That there are so many things, there are so many pictures, there are so many wonderful things that are happening in this passage of scripture. But I wanted to try and figure out what exactly is David trying to show to his readers at this time? What is the main principle of what he's trying to say? And I believe it's this, that the God that we serve is a good God, an awesome, good God. And there's a number of things that he points out. I know for those of you who are scholars, there are going to be some things that I'm going to be missing in this particular passage of scripture. There's no way that I'm gonna be able to adequately talk about everything in just a short uh, message. But let me highlight what I believe David is actually wanting us to see as he puts together his thoughts for this, for this psalm. And the first thing that he does is he reveals the goodness of God by showing that he is the personable God. Just read the first few words of this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is our shepherd. And so that's not to imply that he's thinking he's the only one uh, sheep that God owns, but that God sees him that way. You know, it's not just, it's not just a, a one shepherd, but a whole, but he sees individually the one. Like, hey, if you're a shepherd and you only have one sheep, you're not a shepherd. You're just a guy who has a pet sheep. It's not like that, though, is it? But God in the midst of that has the ability to be able to care for the one in the midst of the bunch. As a matter of fact, if you take a look at the metaphor of the Old Testament and the times where uh, the, the sheep and the shepherd is used, many, if, if not most or all of the things other than this passage, the prophet, when he's talking about sheep to the shepherd, is actually talking about the nation of Israel. He's talking about everyone. But in this particular case, he's saying the Lord is my shepherd and he says it purposefully because it is important for him for us to understand that, that there's a personableness of God, that the love of God or the goodness of God shows that he personally cares for us. Now think about it. This is the guy as well, David, who wrote some of the most tremendous um, passages of scripture on the transcendence of God. He just, he just had some scripture where he says, man, you are so awesome, God. I can't even think of all the good things that you have. Like take a look at, at Psalm chapter 147, verse five. Uh, it goes like this. Great is our God and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. His understanding is beyond measure. You can't even understand God. And at the same time, he sees him personally. Probably the most pa popular passage of scripture when David talks about this is Psalm 139, you know that one where, where he, he basically says, where, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? God, you're always there. Like your thoughts are too wonderful for me is what he says. Kind of goes on and he says, hey, yeah, God, you kind of put me together in the inmost part. You saw my unformed body. And, and he begins to talk about um, the fact that that you, how precious are your thoughts, oh God? How vast are the sum of them? If, if I were to be able to count them, God, they would outnumber the grains of sand. So you, so you have David here, and he, he's talking in these, these, this personable sense, yet at the same time he has a knowledge, a vast knowledge of who God is in his awesomeness. And for all the flaws that David had, and the fact that he was called the apple of God's eye, really says something. And I think that this was one of the reasons that this was the case. 
was because he was able to see God in his grandeur and his awesomeness. Well, at the same time, seeing him as his shepherd personally. You see, the way you view God is perhaps the most important thing about yourself. He shows that he is the personable God. But not only that, he reveals God in this particular um, psalm to be the pacifying God. That he is the God who will take care of you in, in the levels of peace and, and, and the levels of, of comfort. And um, there's a, a scenario that he kind of puts out. Like, he makes me lie down in green pastures and, and he restores my soul. He makes me lie down beside the still waters. And, and you can kind of see this portrait of an, an oasis that, uh, that he, is, he is painting and he is, he's putting down. Um, Philip Keller probably wrote the most famous passage, or the most famous book on, on a, the Psalm 23. It's called The Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. And he basically says this in his knowledge of, of shepherding in, in the Middle East. He says, sheep don't usually um, sit down. They have a hard time sitting down because there's a number of reasons. He says, sheep will not sit um, if they're afraid. And he said, if there is a sense of fear, then they won't sit. Not only that, they're a very social animal. And so if there is friction going on amongst the other sheeps and things like that, which is taking, they won't sit down. He said, another reason that they won't sit down is because of flies, parasites, all these things. If they're aggravated in that way, they won't sit down. And another thing is, is that they're hungry. They're not going to sit down if they're looking for something to eat. And so basically what he says is that many times sheep will not sit down because of fear, friction, flies, and famine. And um, in the midst of this, if you read the first three verses of uh, Psalm 23, you get this picture of a God who will help you and take care of the basic needs that you have. And what is it? I think David sat down and said, what is it? What is the best picture that I can create that will present a worry-free and peaceful scenario? And this is what he was trying to do, talking about the fact that he was a pacifying God. If you wanted to find a, 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 a similar verse or a complementary verse in the New Testament, you'd have to take a look at, at Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, you know, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus all of a sudden begins to say, hey, why are you worrying about all this stuff? Like, I see when a bird falls from the sky, and, and take a look at the lilies that were dressed the way that they do and you think that I care about them more than I do you? What, you know, what, what are you thinking about? If, if I take care of them and if I know about all these things, how much more do I care uh, about, about you? Like, I think many times we kind of get stuck in this level of restlessness. Let me ask you, how's the peace thing going in your life? When was the last time you really experienced just a peaceful time? So I sat there and I looked at myself. I said, you know what? There always seems to be something on my mind. Something that is kind of gnawing on me. Something that is kind of sticking there all the time. And it may be friction, maybe fear, flies, whatever famine is going on in my life. If you take a look at the scriptures, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, he is my peace. 
who's broken down the walls of hostility. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your care, not cares, care, the whole thing, the whole package. Cast all of your care on him because he cares um, for you. I'm always amazed. I'm always amazed when uh, I see the parallels in Scripture. If you take a look at uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, he sees the crowds coming. And as he sees the crowds coming, Matthew, as he describes this scenario, basically says, when he saw the crowd, he said he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. God wants to somehow take the burden from us because basically when you take a look at the the parable of the sower, the, the cares of this world were the things, the, the weeds that choked people. And, and sometimes these things kind of choke us. We never ever feel the peace. And, and in this passage, God said, I'm a good God. I'm going to take all these things from you. He is a peaceful, a, a pacifying God. Not only that, is he is a purposeful God. And that's kind of shown when he says, you will lead me in the right path for your name's sake. Now, that is important because that for your name's sake part sometimes seems to be the thing in all this psalm that seems to be left out, but it's probably the most important part. That God wants to lead us because he has a plan for us. And God's goodness is shown basically because he has incorporated us into his plan, that he has given us a purpose. I heard one person say, say it this way, God has a plan. It's not always your plan, not necessarily your plan, but if you will submit to him, it is the best plan. You know why? Because everybody wants to be led in right paths. That's not the debate here. It is for his name's sake that many times we have problems because we begin to ask ourselves, what's wrong with my plan, God? I think I kind of have a good plan. But here is why I think God's plan is better. First thing is this, if you want to know what a purpose is for something, you need to go to the owner. If there's something that goes wrong, if there's something that I, I don't know about and I want to know what its purpose is, what do I do? Well, I go to the person who created it and they basically will say, well, this is what it's for. It's the same thing with God. You didn't create you, God created you. Just go to the person who created it and ask, this is what, what is the purpose for? Someone comes to me and they have like a triangle block and I go to the creator and say, what's this for? He says, well... It's a doorstop, idiot. Well, of course. Well, hey, that's a bad, maybe a bad example. But the God created you knows what your purpose is. Not only that, my perspective of my purpose is based on what I know now and what I predict is going to happen in the future, whereas God knows yesterday, today, and forever. His, the way we plan our plan is based on the first chapter of our existence, the life that we live, where God's plan is eternal for all of eternity. See, he's, he's a God that has a purpose. And I think to myself, perhaps the worst thing that could happen to us is if we lose our purpose. Or maybe even worse than that, we never ever realize our purpose. What happens to a person who doesn't have a purpose? Well, they lose their hope. They lose their bearing. Many times they lose their sanity. They lose their sense of belonging. They lose their sense of fulfillment. They lose their joy. They lose their reason to get out of bed. And when you get to that point where you say, ah, oh, 
What's the use? What's the use? A person who has no purpose, or the purpose, a person who thinks everything is purposeless, is a person. It's a situation which is called nihilism, and nihilism is basically the fertilizer of hopelessness, discouragement, uh, and depression. Whereas when God says you have a purpose, I can be ninety years old and still have a purpose for my life. He's got a purpose. That gets in a little bit deeper as we go forth. It's not is he just a personable God, and not only is he just a pacifying God and a purposeful God, but there's the presence of God. But God shows his goodness by revealing to us that he is there. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. What is it with us, Christians and believers, people who are passionately following Jesus? What is it with us in this thing called the presence of God? We all want the presence of God, and not just when we're going through the difficult time. Tonight, we're going to be um, having uh, fusion. If you didn't know that fusion was on tonight, it is on tonight. We're going to be praying for, for victory in, in people's lives, and we're going to be worshiping the Lord. And, and what is it that makes fusion such a popular thing and a, and a desirous thing to go? It's because we are seeking the presence of God. And what's the difference between the presence of God that, that David is talking about and the presence of God that perhaps we sense when we're trying uh, to worship him? Well, perhaps the scenario is different, but the need is kind of the same, don't you think? That when I'm worshiping the Lord, when I'm giving my heart uh, to Jesus, and I'm just desiring for God to move, and I want to enjoy God, and I want to experience his closeness, and I want to renew my desire to follow him. And actually, the Bible talks about the fact that we need to practice the presence of God in everything that we're doing, whether it is work or whatever, that we want to practice the presence and the, the realization that God is with us at all times. We want to experience that level of joy and that level of, of closeness. But there's something about the scriptures that talk about the fact that he is close when we are going through the most difficult times. And it's not like the fact that God isn't anywhere, everywhere all the time, but somehow when we go through our deep times, that God will allow his presence to be felt in our lives. That, that term, shadow of death, is an interesting one. We never heard the term shadow of death until it got translated from the Hebrew to the Greek. It was a document which was called the Septuagint. And the Septuagint, when, they, when it, it translated that, the Hebrew term into shadow of darkness... It wasn't really known as that. And when you all of a sudden it gets translated into English, that's kind of what it's got known as. But the word, the Hebrew word is one which is hard to describe and it was hard to interpret. And so when they're transferring it from Hebrew to Greek, Greek kind of said shadow of death is probably the best way. But it's kind of like deathly dark shadows is what it is what it talks about. And if you read uh, Psalm chapter 34 verse 18, it says God is close to the brokenhearted. You're going through a difficult time. God will allow his presence to be felt in your life. That there is something about those times when we are vulnerable. We just kind of feel really vulnerable that God is there. Psalm 46 verse 1 says this. Our God is our refuge and our strength. A helper in our times of trouble. And James, he just kind of puts it this way. In James um, 4 verse 8. It says this, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. 
I asked myself as I was kind of preparing, putting things together. I said, why is it that I enjoy and desire to feel or sense the presence of God so much? And it's simple, really, if you stop and you consider it. That when I have the presence of God close, where I'm sensing and feeling the presence of God, they are probably the most fearless times in my life. There are times when I recognize the comfort and the protection of God. There are the times when I am the boldest, the boldest. Because I sense the presence of God. There is something that wells up within me that says, yes, I can do this. And yes, this is I know I'm going in, in, in the right place. And, and I have a joy and I have a strength and I have a purpose because I know that he's right beside me and he is. But there's something about those times where I just kind of sense it presence of God. He's a good God because he is present with you. And there's one more. It's the fact that he's a personable God. It's the fact that he's a pacifying God. There's the fact that, uh, that there's a purpose that he has and, and the fact that there is the presence of God that is in our lives and is shown in this particular um, psalm. But the last one is this, the pleasure of God. If you come to the end of, of this psalm, again, there's so many things that is said there, but I ask myself, what exactly is David trying to say to us? If you look real closely at verses, or sorry, yeah, verses five and verse six, what he's basically saying is, is that the God that you serve and the God that I serve is so good that he is extravagantly generous to us. Let's take a look at the passage of scripture. Not only does he says, listen, I'll prepare a meal for you. No. He says, I'm going to prepare a meal for you in the presence of your enemies. I'm not just going to anoint you. I'm going to anoint your head with oil. There's significance in that. I'm not just going to fill your cup. I'm going to fill your cup overflowingly. My cup runs over is what it says. You want a drink? Here you go. He piles it on over. It's like, it's like hey, there's plenty where that came from. That the God that we serve is an extravagantly generous God. Not only that, it goes on to talk about the fact that goodness and mercy are going to follow. That term follow means the fact that there's a residual effect to God's goodness. It's not just a one-time thing, but God is just continually, continually showing his goodness. Even on to the next generation, his goodness is bestowed upon you. And then I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, that's just talking about heaven. He can't even express it. The, the greatest things about the goodness of God are things that we can't even comprehend yet. Isn't that incredible? Stop and consider the goodness of God. That's basically um, what David is saying. You may not realize this about David. But in David, you have a character who probably had the highest highs and the lowest lows. Think about it. He killed Goliath. Famous for that. He became the king of Israel. He became Israel's greatest king. Um, but yet at the same time, I don't think that you will be able to find a person in scripture that was rejected uh, more than David. Came from an obscure town, Bethlehem, outside of Jerusalem. Had an obscure job. They kind of threw him out into the pasture, sit down with the sheep. As a matter of fact, when Jesse kind of shows up 
uh, Samuel shows up at Jesse's home to kind of proclaim a person that he thinks is going to be king. They don't even invite him to the party. No, no, no. Well, there is, there is one runt out in the field. Well, go get him. Not only that, you stop and consider all the things that have happened in his life. After defeating Goliath, um, Saul begins to pursue him. He spends most of his life in a cave, or most of his youth in a cave. Not only that, he, he ends up being chased again later in his life by his own son. He has a child that dies. He is subject to public disgrace and ridicule. He has family problems. There's incest in his, um, in his family. And uh, I could go on and on about talking some of the things. And in, 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 in the midst of this, as, as all this is going on and as he is writing this psalm, he says, in the midst of all this stuff that is going on in my life, God is good. And so, yeah, there's some ter- terrible things which have happened, taken place in my life. And, and I've had all these terrible things take place. But in the midst of that, there's a God. And in the process of him working, he levels things out. And in the process of the hurt, in the process of the frustration, and the process of, of, of some of the sorrow that I might be feeling, there is, there is a God which is good, unspeakably good. And perhaps the, the counterbalance that, that David uses is the undeserved kindness of God. And one of the most puzzling passages of Scripture about David is in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. For those of you who, who may not know the passage of Scripture, and you may know the story once I start talking about it, David is out with his army and he's fighting the battle and, and seems to be winning a battle. And then all of a sudden they come back from battle and realize that while they were out in another battle, an enemy has come into their camp and has taken away everything. Spouses and, and children. And, and all of a sudden everyone just begins to re- recognize how terrible this is. It's so terrible that they're thinking of actually killing David. And, um, and this verse pops up in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. It says this, but David encouraged himself in the Lord, which is good, but it defies me. And, and I, have to, I have to subject myself to the wisdom of God. But I'm kind of thinking, well, do tell. How exactly did um, he encourage himself in the Lord? So many people, I think, who are going through discouraging times, it kind of would have been nice to have a bit of a formula. And God, in his wisdom, does not give us a formula. But as you take a look um, at the life of David, I can't help but think that many times he shows us through the Psalms, yeah, this is a terrible situation. And I'm going to come to you first, God, because in that process of coming to you, I can't just sit there and dump the feelings. I can't dump all the stuff that, that is there that I think you have for me for some reason somewhere down the road but in the midst of this you're going to plop in the fact that you're a kind and a good God extravagant in your generosity and all the good things and as I take a look at my life and review all the things that have happened I can't help but lift my hands up to you and say God you're good you're good unmerited kindness you ever, um, you ever have a comic, and um, 
you know, in the comic, they kind of have these little bubbles with a little point at there. But sometimes in a comic, when they want to show someone's thought, there's like a bubble and a bunch of smaller bubbles, which kind of says, this is kind of what the, the character is thinking. <laughs> Could you imagine if that really happened? That every time I had an errant thought or a thought at all, it kind of popped up and everyone was able to see the thought that I was having? If that was you, how long would it take for you to lose all of your friends? Really? Some of the things that you think, how, how long will that be <laughs> for me to keep my job? Um, I, not that I'm thinking really, really bad things, but the fact is, that is who we are as humans. And despite the fact that we all have these terrible thoughts and things that run through our mind all the time, although other people don't know them, God knows absolutely everything that we think, and he still loves us. That's an incredible thing if you know him question is, do you know him? Because he is the most wonderful, wonderful God that you can know. God, I pray for your power, for your anointing, for your hand to bless. And, and during this time, I think it is the best thing for us to come again and realize that you are a good, good father. That Lord, you exceed all of our expectations. So, Lord, I pray that blessing upon whoever is listening today, for those who might be going through the, the valley of the shadow of death, those people who might be suffering because of this prolonged time of sorrow and, and confusion and frustration. And same time, God, we need to realize, wow, oh, there's a God that's so good. In the midst of that, it, it, it levels things out. It balances things. I pray, God, that you just begin to balance things in our heart and our life as we worship you, as we call upon you. I pray for any person who is here who may not know you and desires to know you, God, that, Lord, they will know you by accepting you, asking you to come in. I pray for the presence of God to move. I pray for a powerful work of the Holy Spirit to happen. Uh, today, tonight, during fusion, God, I pray that you'll be glorified. I pray that we will see victory. But we lift you up and we celebrate your goodness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here, and, uh, or if you're here, if you're watching online and you want to know more about God and perhaps you don't know him, contact the church. We want to do everything we can to point you in the right direction. God bless. I'm going to hand it back to Pastor Glenn. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.